text of scripture, but Lord willing, <clears throat> it will be beneficial and profitable for all of us. I know you hear that word like leadership in church. Oh, wow, that is so exciting to talk about. Actually, believe it or not, as we've been involved, we've been engaged over this past uh, summer in a summer series called Church 101, Why We Do what we do. And so this is kind of the inner workings of church and where our authority ultimately comes from in the Word of God. So there is much for us to glean whenever His Word is open, regardless of what is on our personal agenda. It says that His Word never returns void, never returns empty, and we rejoice in that. Thank you, Craig, for leading us and the others before the throne in worship. Sierra, thank you for your ministry to the little ones. And I am just encouraged on the announcement that Pastor Stewart gave on Awana ministry. That was a, that was a stretch as far as we don't want to like cannibalize other ministries for this ministry and to see so many people have stepped up to serve. And I was, I was looking at this list a lot of people who were not previously involved in ministry, particularly in children's ministry. And so I just want to tell you, as your shepherd, as your pastor, I am proud of you for your willingness to serve the little ones. I'm excited, kind of a little bit terrified as far as what this Awana season is going to look like in the history of Big Woods, but we um, rejoice in the Lord's faithfulness. I want to welcome you, especially if this is your first time, this is kind of new for you, special welcome to you. Summertime is just like constant movement at a different pace than the school year, but it is a delight to have an opportunity to kind of just quiet everything down, gather everyone together, and corporately focus all of our attention Okay, not unlike the corn on the cob that we had last night or what is busy ahead of us this week, we focus all of our attention on one subject, on one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory and for his glory alone. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we dive into our text this morning? <clears throat> Father, we do just want to pause and we thank you already. And lifting up our voices in praise to you, having our hearts, our souls encouraged. Father, I, I pray for every single person that is here, every single person that's listening to this message, or whatever circumstance brought them to this, to this time, we just ask that you administer in a way that you see fit. Father, we, we think about this, this church thing. And it is, it is beyond us. It's even beyond fully our comprehension, our understanding. But we know, Lord, that your word is sufficient and your spirit is present. And you've called us, just us, to be faithful stewards of this season, this time, the culture, the context that is so dark and so needy. I pray, Lord, and, and we plead together as your children that you would unite our hearts together. We would understand clearly the role that every single one of us have as your children. 
And Father, if there's a person here today that does not know you, has not put their faith in their trust, that today would be the day of salvation. Today they would recognize the need for you to be their Lord and Savior. Please, please, please help me, help my words be pleasing and honoring to you and you alone. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah. Amen and amen. Okay, so here's our objective, and we have a lot of ground to cover. We've been looking at, in a sense, not only what we do over the past several weeks, serving, giving, preaching, praying, encouraging, but now we're going to actually look at, for the next couple weeks, how we accomplish what the Lord has called us to do according to his word. So we'll look at leadership today, next week fellowship, and then we'll look at membership I want to begin this morning by shining light on the subject of decision-making. Now, depending on how long you have been at Big Woods, you know that there is probably something that we follow, not only the Scriptures, ultimately as our final authority, but our own constitution. We have bylaws. I know that sounds exciting. We have something called church membership and annual business meetings and family gatherings and updates. And as a church that very clearly is elder-led, it may feel like for a moment, well, elders are the only ones who make decisions in leading the church. So today I want to consider this question, what is the congregation's role in decision-making? In a sense, what is your role in decision-making? Now let me give you a little side note here. You have a sheet of paper, hopefully it's been given to you, and there's a little QR code We know that this is part of the learning process. So if you have a question about anything that I say this morning, shoot your little QR code. It comes up and text any question that you want. And we'll be following this time in the NPR with an opportunity to talk about this and discuss this as we learn together. What is the congregation's role in decision making? Today I want to spend time specifically with leadership and church governance. I heard it described like this. It's like pistons in an engine. We really don't give this a whole lot of thought. We just turn the key and it does what it's supposed to be doing. Unless what? Unless something's broken. Unless it does not work well. It's important as a church that always strives towards faithfulness in the word of God. That we have our authority. Not from us, but from God himself. Let me give you a definition of church governance. It's simply this, the system by which decisions are made in a church. So when I use this term, like what is this? It is the system by which decisions are made in a church. It can be a tool for great unity, or it can what? Also be a great opponent to unity in the church. Think for a moment of how a family works. It has been a huge blessing to have our three grandsons visit with us over the past several weeks, Levi, Theo, and Calvin. It's interesting that this week that that their mom and dad with the baby Calvin are actually taking a class that Seth is in in Austin, Texas, and Levi was telling his little baby brother as he's on his way out the door, 
He said, you have to do the boring stuff, the flying a plane to go to Texas. We get to stay here with Mimi and Pop-Up the entire time. I thought about that from a child's perspective. And it's pretty obvious when you spend time with a one, two, and four-year-old, they are not the ones that make the call. They don't make the decision on how much ice cream. They don't make the decision on what time they go to bed. They don't make decisions on what to wear. As a matter of fact, they actually don't make a lot of decisions at all. Daddy and mama make all of the decisions. But when daddy and mama are away, what happens? Pop-Pop and Mimi are running the asylum. <laughs> Levi was playing with my watch. I said, hey, Levi, what time is it? He looked at me deadpan. He says, it's 1, 171 o'clock. I'm like, that's why you don't make decisions, son. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you have no authority. I actually, I actually found myself making this statement this week. Put the knife down. No, 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 no. The toy box. <laughs> the toy box is not the same as the potty, Okay. Don't eat the plants. We looked up like, will this plant kill you if you eat hosta as a little one? So in a sense, what happens? Likewise, God is the one who is an absolute and ultimate authority. And thankfully, what he's done is he's left instruction for us about how we do this. Decisions are made. Church governance in the church. And let me tell you this. He is most glorified when we follow his instructions. We don't come up with this stuff on our own. Having a structure at church in accordance with Scripture not only brings oneness and unity, but thankfully it maximizes love that should exist in our body, grace that is to be extended, mercy that we show to one another, and ultimately effectiveness for the work of the gospel. Two offices I want to begin with. The first one is this. When we consider offices of the church. And maybe if you've gone through membership classes, this is maybe somewhat familiar to you. But again, like pistons in the engine, you don't give this a lot of thought. Office number one, here it is. We look at the benefit and blessing. Now these can be when they function according to the word of God. And here's number one, the position of elders. The term elder, presbyteros in, Greece is, in Greek, is used interchangeably with other words that you will have as overseer or bishop. There's multiple terms, and that is episkopos. You also see the same word used, pastor or shepherd, poimen in Greek. Acts chapter 20, it says this, Paul sent to Ephesus and he called the elders, there's that term, presbyteros, to come to him and he charged them with spiritual oversight of the local church. A couple verses later, he says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he tells the Ephesian elders, listen carefully, pay careful attention to yourselves. First instruction Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock. It's interesting, it doesn't say just some of the flock that you, but all of the flock. Pay attention to yourself, pay careful attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, it says elders especially are to be devoting themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They are also charged with being the principal governing body of the church. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse 2, shepherd the flock. There's that same word, puyamen. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but do this willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So we have some of the job description, but believe it or not, there's qualifications like who does this? I've asked for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let me, just, let me just give you a brief description of the character qualifications that are spelled out specifically for those who fulfill this role as an elder or pastor in the local church. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the word of the Lord. <clears throat> the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respect, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, now, how does this overseer, where apparently there's a long list here of character qualifications, how do they actually specifically shepherd the flock? What does this job look like? Let me give you a couple areas to focus on. The first one is this primarily Elders are responsible for their duties of teaching and preaching, first and foremost. This, this means it's not only accuracy to the word of God, and there's great time that's spent to make sure that the interpretation and application of this word is accurate, but it also must be a balance, what? Of not just information, I want you to know this, but what? Exhortation. It should be offered to you. This word should be offered to you in an encouraging way. This makes sense to us. This is how we need to live our lives. So first and foremost, the primary responsibility is attention that they give to the word of God. Secondly, elders have a special responsibility for the spiritual health of the flock. 
that the Lord has gathered here together to be under our care. Not only is it a responsibility that we have, but do you realize that for every single pastor and elder, there is what? An accountability. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 says, keep watch what over you as men who must give an account. That means that if we have godly elders, they will do exactly what Scripture calls us to do in Ephesians chapter 4. And I've preached through that whole chapter on numerous occasions. We are to what? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You do realize that that, in a sense, pours out into every single other area of ministry. Think about Sunday school and classes and curriculum. Think about children's ministry and junior church and what is taught the Iwana that, that hides God's word in our hearts, the Iwana program. Navigate for our youth, new life, men's ministry, women's ministry, home groups, all of that to equip the body for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, remember we just talked on that, to completeness, to holiness, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, a body that focuses what? On ministries that are guided by the principles of the gospel and the word of God as a whole, what should be mature and we begin to look like, sound like, walk like, and talk like Jesus. That seems like a pretty tall order, but thankfully, through the presence of his spirit, it is possible. Third, I think elders are to model for others what obedience and submission look like. And they're words that we know in what? I know in my own heart. They don't come quickly for me. Obedience and submission do not come naturally for me. This is hard because submission calls us to humility and what? Not be headstrong. Not be stubborn, not be arrogant or ignorant. If you were to expand Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, and I remind you, I have those words written on my office wall, hanging up. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Listen to this. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. There's a responsibility, and it seems kind of awkward as a pastor to say this, but some of your responsibility is to make our job as pastors and elders in absolute joy. And let me tell you, that's hard work for you. And I will tell you this, many of you, many of you work diligently, and I believe it is noted and noticed that you do well, that we delight in the work that God has called us to do, the shepherd the flock at Big Woods. Now, it's no secret if we step back from this, you think about the, the topic today, the subject of authority, the subject of submission to authority is not comfortable for people. We don't want to address that. You don't want to speak about the subject of authority in the local church. Why? We know sadly, and many of you even today, have tragically been abused in the past through ungodly leadership. And think of all places, of all places, in the local church. Let me assure you, if you've ever suffered in that way, 
You can be sure that God is just and that whoever, whoever has led the sheep astray, woe to the shepherd that scatters the flock, that one will stand before the Lord and will give account for their actions. Be reminded of that. But let me tell you this, it is in the local church when, when elders' authority is exercised, and I want you to hear this next statement very clearly, with accountability to the congregation. When elder pastor authority is exercised with accountability to the congregation, let me tell you this, it will be, I promise you, it will be a blessing to build, build up his church. This is the reason that Peter wrote, what? First Peter chapter 5, be shepherds of God's flock, not lording it over, ruling with an iron fist, not ruling it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I believe that pastors and elders should lead by way of servant-heartedness. That they should be working harder than anyone else on what? Taking themselves out of the limelight to say, how can we serve you as part of the body of Christ? Why? Because it's that same servanthood. It's that same humility that the Lord Jesus Christ himself exhibited. Fourthly, elders have a responsibility of establishing a plurality of leadership. Thus what? Thus, we don't have it rest too heavily on one man's shoulders. Very, very unhealthy, dangerous, when one person, oh, he's the senior pastor, he calls all the shots. That is wrong, ungodly, and unhealthy. We know that Proverbs says this in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 22. Plans fail for the lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. That is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 14 when it says what? And when they, plural, Paul and Barnabas together had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So what happens is that it's not, it's a plurality. And with the plurality of elders, it means that there has to be a humility as they relate to one another and listen to one another. And that humility, I think, should be a model for everyone in the church. There's not one person making decisions. There's a council of people that are making decisions, which means you have got to lean in and listen. Look at things from another person's perspective. And I think that has confidence. It builds confidence. This is how the rest of the body should function in our own decision-making process. What does it do? It alleviates one person, one pastor, from hearing and what? Taking all of what? All the glory or all of the blame or the criticism for an entire body. People have oftentimes asked me if, if elders' meetings for me, they happen every other Wednesday night. They begin at 7 o'clock and, and they are, in a sense, open-ended. We, have, we shoot for 10, 10.30, but it is not uncommon for us to be leaving at 10.30, 11 o'clock. I've driven out of elders' meetings at 11.30 before. People have asked me before, is that burdensome? 
And I will tell you in all honesty, repeatedly I've told people, elders' meetings have always been a true delight in sense what? It's a relief for me. Things that I've carried over the last couple days, I'm able to unload that, and together, corporately, we share that burden. As late as it is, in all honesty, I will oftentimes drive the long way home through the woods, and I will sing, and I will pray, and I will thank the Lord that I don't have to carry all of this on my own. Our responsibility is to develop a, an accountability and a plurality that happens through humility and listening to one another. Now, don't forget this as well. Elders serve as under shepherds of what? Of the great shepherd. This means that they are not, and they will not ever, this side of glory, be perfect like Jesus is. But tell you what, when they seek, and they will do that, to pray together and weep together, sincerely to lead like Jesus leads, we should be encouraged by that, and we should delightfully follow that example as they follow Christ. We should be able to say what? Just like Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a second office here as far as what happens with leadership in the church, and that is the office of deacons. Spelled out in scriptures, that of what? Diakonis is the word in Greek. It literally translates one way, servant. Deacons attend to the practical details of the church. Administration. You give offerings, they're the ones who count it and record it. They know who's here. They keep us safe by way of security. They watch over maintenance. They care for church members and the physical needs. If you think of it like this, if elders are responsible for spiritual needs, deacons are responsible for physical needs. And the qualifications that are set out for a deacon are very, very similar to that of an elder. We'll continue on and read it, and you can see it for yourself. Let's pick it up. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. It literally translates a one-woman man committed to one. Managing their children and their own households well. Listen to this summary statement. For those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Which means it's what? It's those who are leading that are oftentimes more visible. That the faith that exists within the church is going to be a testimony through the lives of these individuals. Now you will see, although there's similarities, there's actually a couple clear differences that exist between deacons and elders. Unlike elders, I believe and we believe deacons 
can be women. The word is deaconesses as we see it. Pastor Aaron addressed this when we concluded our two, how long were we in Romans? Two or three years? In Romans chapter 16, when it got to all of the names that we couldn't pronounce, I'm like, Pastor Aaron, that's your responsibility. You're going to teach. And, and Phoebe was one of them. She leads as what? A diaconess, deaconess. I think as well, unlike elders, deacons are not required, and you'll see the distinction, are not required to be able to teach, as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, for elders and pastors, and every single elder or pastor here has preached at least once, if not multiple times. So we understand that for a deacon, there's not a responsibility for them to be able to teach. And I think we can learn a lot about the biblical understanding, but also the relationship that exists between elders and deacons. When we go through our deacon training with new men, Acts chapter 6 is one of the first places that we ever take them to. I'll give you a little bit of a summary of Acts chapter 6. It says what? As the church was exploding in growth, it says that there was a problem that arose. And I know we always step back like, you're telling me really in a church there's a problem? Yes, it does happen. And it says that the Hellenist widows were being neglected. Other people were not caring for them. And so it says that what? You go and you choose men. And it gives very clearly in Acts chapter 6 a description of the type of men that are full of the Holy Spirit, that are men of faith. And you, you call them. And, and from that relationship between the elders and the deacons, we see an example of how the entire church is to function. Deacons care for all the members of the church, from the widows to anyone in the entire body that has some type of a physical need. And that goes for every one of you here. Like we're broke down on the side of the road here. And we've all been there at times. You should have, we used to have speed dial in the olden days. Remember, never mind. You call the, they will, they arrive. That's what they do. We've all been in need at one time or another. And I believe that deacon, the, the spirit led, appointed, affirmed by others, are to what serve with awareness, that they kind of see what's happened by way of a peripheral vision a sensitivity towards others, a humility, and ultimately a servant's heart. Deacons also enabled the apostles to do their job, to devote, devote their time to the ministry of the word of God and prayer. Think about how many hours that a pastor is freed up, an elder is freed up to study the word of God, to pray for the body and needs that exist out there, to meet, to talk, to encourage, to admonish, to strengthen. Why? Because the deacons are coordinating much of the ministry behind the scenes. In a sense, that is a perfect picture of unity. Let him do his job, and we will faithfully do our job. Thirdly, deacons distribute and delegate work throughout the congregation. And there's a lot, from the coordinating of volunteers to the taking care of a building to hosting and leading work days, to doing projects, providing rides, all of those allow a disproportionate what amount of work from falling on just a few members. 
It allows many people to participate in the joy. And I just want to ask you this question in love. Do, do, you, do you pray for your, your deacons who are serving, your elders who are teaching? And do you seek to serve alongside of them? There's a need that Haley puts out for the church. Hey, church, we have a need here. Do, do you understand there's a responsibility on all of our parts, not just a few, to serve and support? So there are the offices of the church. We see elders and deacons. But let me tell you this. Secondly and finally, there's an authority of the church. And I've got to kind of put in parentheses. It's what we call congregationalism. That's you, the congregation. How about church government? Who should have the final say on matters in the church? Now, I, I believe by carefully studying scriptures, it's very clear. There's three primary areas where the church demonstrates authority. One is church discipline. Another one is church membership. And a third area is the doctrine of the church. Thus what happens is that there is, there is not will be, hopefully, well, maybe, someday. No, there is, present tense, a responsibility upon your shoulders that, let, that unless people are taught in, in messages like this, they don't oftentimes realize the responsibility that is on your shoulders. Let's look at one of them in Matthew chapter 18. And it describes, and this is what we speak of in the category of church discipline, that is, that is like, well, we just don't go there. Because you're not to ever judge anyone. Well, that's not what we see when we hold one another accountable. In Matthew chapter 18, it describes, what if there's a member who has sinned against another? And very clearly in Scripture, we are taught, you go to that one. And you go to him, her, alone which means you don't tell it to other people do you realize what this person has done to me no it says you go directly to them and someone has been sinned against and it says if they hear you then you've gained your brother you're back in fellowship together it says if they don't hear you in a sense they've stopped their ears then it says go take someone with you and go to them two people what hey, what you're doing is dangerous. It's not healthy. It's not right. It's not Christ-honoring. And then what happens in that third stage of church discipline that actually says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 17, if they've not heard one-on-one, -on -one, if they've not heard two-on-one, -on -one, then it actually says this, tell it to what? The church. You're telling me that if someone has sinned against another and they've not heard that everyone, that's what Scripture teaches us. Thus, the congregation, everyone coming alongside saying, what are you doing? My brother, my sister, you don't live like that. That in love and humility, you pray for them. The congregation has the final say on matters of church discipline. Same exact thing we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is even more blunt. These are not my words. When unrepentant, now remember, that's the key here. They're, they're continuing on in that, in that lane of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When unrepentant sin is present, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst. 
With the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are to deliver this man, this woman, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's some pretty strong language. But you do realize, and this is what is absolutely perfect, this is what is absolutely beautiful. The idea is we don't just cast people away. You don't just what excommune them, excommunicate. But I want you to see this yourself in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. There is what? There's instruction on Lord willing what should happen when someone is confronted with the gravity of their own sin. And we draw them back into the fellowship. I wrote the word after this, after these verses, I wrote this one word, perfect. This is what it should look like. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 8. Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. So when one person sins against another and we're part of the body, you know what happens when you hurt your finger, your whole hand hurts. You know what, what happens when you hurt your hand, your whole arm hurts. What happens when you hurt your arm, your whole body hurts. That's what Paul is saying. Not to be too severely, but someone's caused pain towards all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. And we see the element here of spiritual warfare that exists where Satan is seeking to destroy this body, and we're not going to allow that in our relationships with one another. Paul urges the entire church to readmit someone who has previously been expelled or excommunicated. Why? Because they have confessed their sin. They've acknowledged their wrongdoing. They've moved outside the lane that they were traveling in. And what do we do? Please come back. Think of the prodigal son and father running to him. Regarding matters of doctrine, there's another area here. That's on your plate, your responsibility. And I say this in love. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul says to Christians, to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, in churches, not just to pastors, not just to elders. He says this, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be what? Anathema. Let him be accursed. And I love this, almost a sense of humor, like, of course, there's a person that can get it wrong. But Paul says, if if there's an angel that comes down and he gives you something else, then let him be anathema, literally translates damned to hell forever. 
you understand here that there's a responsibility. In the New Testament, it's the, it's the gathering, it's the corporate congregation that oftentimes not just has the responsibility, but you do realize, and this is, this, and I say this in, in a sense, that's where the blame lies. Not, not just in the one who has erred in the teaching. And we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time is coming, and this is so true today. Time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Is that not somewhat descriptive of what has happened like we don't want to hear words like church discipline we don't want to hear words about accountability and submission and humility and so we'll just kind of pile on people to tell us what we want to use this phrase tickle their ears just just make me feel good now this authority gives us as members what a responsibility of faithful stewardship in the local church we're going to have to answer to Jesus. And so we understand if the health of the church is ultimately up to just a few people, one or two men, pastors, elders, then you just kind of sit back, cross your arms, and watch. But that's not the case. The case is what? It's up to all of us. Therefore, you have a responsibility to take interest into the health of the entire body, to care for one another, to love on one another. We work together to pursue not only what unity, but purity of the message of the gospel. I've never experienced this in my entire life before, but you know how strong people, when they're like bench pressing like hundreds and hundreds of pounds, they have a guy called a spotter that is next to them, like above them? Some of you muscly people will get this illustration. And what happens is that what, and there's grunting and all these noises, and there's, and then people like come over and like, wow. And what happens is if that person who's benching gets in trouble, what happens? The spotter kind of like does his job. He's, he's got to be a pretty strong guy, I'm assuming. And he steps in, he in a sense kind of interrupts what's happening, the exercise, and he takes over. Why? To protect. Not to let this weight crush the individual. In a sense, that's our responsibility as a congregation to function as a spotter. When things begin to, oh, this isn't right, this is dangerous. You guys are the spotter. Scripture teaches the idea of elder leadership in the church, yet we also see that Scripture gives the congregation the final say in matters of significance. Even going so far, remember Jesus as he speaks to Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. And he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now there's little doubt that it takes a lot of work for a proper balance to take place here. What is this authority, the keys of the kingdom? Jonathan Lehman his wisdom here is absolutely bang on. When he, in a sense, explains the church's practicality as you, the congregation who holds the keys of the kingdom. 
Beeman says, and I quote, the congregation's authority pertains to the foundation or very existence of the church as an eschatological embassy of Christ's kingdom. Big picture. The elders' authority pertains to the function of the church. They lead life together with the community, including the church's use of the keys. So what? They work together. Does the congregation have the final say on what color to paint a Sunday school room in the back? Well, you know what? I looked. Scripture does not address that. So what happens I believe that there are matters when we think about what? Support staff, budget, missions. They're left to, to what? Discretion, discernment, and prudence. But praise God, we have something in place. The word of God has what? Given to us instruction that we implement it in our bylaws and constitution. For example, it requires a congregational vote to approve a budget every single year. This is how we plan to spend. Do you agree with this or not agree with this? To elect elders, it always comes to you. To elect deacons, it always comes to you. The call of the senior pastor, the call of associate pastors. There's going to be a level at some point that the, the, the congregation demonstrates after you've voted on leaders to let them lead. You realize the process that took place, what, in 2011 when I was called here, thoroughly vetted by a search team on multiple meetings and then multiple visits, and then the search team makes a recommendation to the elders, and then you thought the search team was difficult. Let me tell you what it's like to sit before those men and then thoroughly vet it. Then what happened is that I was presented to the entire body, yes or no? The final authority exists there. So how do we, in a sense, become obedient to the biblical command to obey and submit to our leaders, and yet we still have a responsibility of guarding the purity of the gospel? I think a good reminder are the matters that you speak of. Is the word of God our final authority? Is the word of God inerrant? That's a big matter. You better speak up. You hear anything different from that, from this pulpit, from any one of the elders, you speak up about that. You, you go and you talk. Excuse me, what is your belief on that? Because that's not what we see in Scripture. I think at that level, then what? We know it's a significant issue as opposed to, what do you think about the color of the carpet in the children's wing? I don't really see that. So there's areas that you have got to speak on. Three things in closing. I know this is heavy. I know this is long. Number one, be diligent. I love how it describes the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's your responsibility. You got to do the work. You can hear something on Sunday and you are diligent to search and study, that is, does it align? Is there doctrinal error that is taught from the pulpit? And if you hear something that does not align with the statement of faith that we have, you speak up to that. Not only are you to be diligent, but be engaged. Take seriously the responsibility that you have been given, which means what? Participate in attending what? 
church business meetings, oh so fun, family gatherings. You have a responsibility not just to sit, but we're going to talk about church membership. You formally are recognized and you covenant together that I'm going to lift my end, which means we're to be engaged. Thirdly and finally, we're to be thankful because ultimately we know all authority, Jesus said, in heaven and earth has been given to me. And yet when he laid down his life for us, when he rose from the dead, he in a sense commands us to be very clear with a very specific job description. You go into all the world, you teach people to obey everything. In a sense, God has graciously given to us an authority that we have a responsibility to exercise what? To proclaim, to make clear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that's, that's a lot right there, but hopefully it's helpful for every single one of us as we learn about how decisions are made in the church and not just a few have the responsibility, every single one of us for the responsibility to be faithful for the glory of God, not for the glory of man. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time that we've been able to learn from your word. We pray, Lord, that we would allow it to continue kind of percolating in our hearts and minds as we strive to be faithful and obedient to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.